Let's just pause before kind of just jumping in. And uh, I was just getting my notes to jump up to uh, and speak, and I, I noticed a book that my boy brought along, and some words just jumped out to me, and I want to share this before I forget. And it just says this. This is from the back. So, what is broken can always be mended. Remember that. And I just feel, even before speaking, just um, that just stood out to me. So I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come. I just feel that some people here are things that maybe feel broken. It might not be a massive break. Maybe it's just a crack. My um, car, one of my jobs this week is my, my car, you can see actually out there, it's got a massive crack right across the windscreen. But it's going to get fixed. God is the God who fixes things. So God, we just thank you that you are the God that fixes things, God. That there's nothing that is broken that cannot be mended, God. That there's no heart, Lord, that is broken, Lord, that cannot be mended, Lord. There's no relationship, no situation that cannot be mended. And we thank you for that. Amen. Amen. Well, my talk's nothing really to do with that. Though we're doing a series on community, and one of the great places where mending does happen is in communities. As my kids say, I can turn everything, <laughs> link everything into something. But that is true. Uh, last week, Nigel started off this series uh, when we were talking about community, and I'd really encourage you to, to listen to that talk if you haven't, because I will keep kind of referring to it. If you haven't listened to it, it's not going to uh, affect it, but there is a lot of linkage between uh, these talks. And one of the things that Nigel talked about was what community is and what it's not. And I don't know about you, but when you hear the word community, I don't know what some of the words or images that come into your mind. You know, if I had ages, I might do one of these kind of things where I like, tell me, but I don't have time. But when I start thinking about community, a couple of images come into my, my mind. Many years ago, I lived in Birmingham, and there used to be a road called Dawlish Road. I know Joe would know it. I can't, don't know how else here who knows Birmingham. And it was very convenient I lived in this road, Dawlish Road. I lived at number 18. And then there was this house, which I'll come back to you, that was number 38. And then the church office also happened to be on Dawlish Road. And I worked for the church at that point in time. I was a student pastor. And uh, so I just walked up the road. On my way home, I would always stop off at this house because this house, for me, embodied what can a community look like. There was about three people from our church who lived there, plus another couple of people. And whenever I turned up, this house was always packed with, with people. If you ever wanted a meal, you just turn up roughly around that point in time, and somebody would make some meal, and you'd eat it. And they were just, they just shared lives together. Sometimes they would be there for a few minutes. Sometimes people would be there for hours. Sometimes you kind of delved into maybe deep things in relation to the Bible. Maybe it was just kind of having some fun and playing some cards. Uh, and it was just a great place to have community. To be honest with you, because I'd be accused if I didn't say this, my wife's not here. I also had an interest, because there was a young lady there called Katie Heron. And, uh, and I always say I was being a good student pastor. And, uh, and she was a student. But, uh, and so that kind of comes into my mind, what community looks like. And then probably the other dynamic when I think about community is when, again, some of you might not know, but I worked overseas for 11 years. And uh, my mission organization, Frontier, is one of its distinctives, less so now, is kind of we're team-based. Uh, and for me, that was kind of like community, people from different nations in a particular country with a particular focus uh, and mission, 
and we were in some of the places where we're operating, there's no other place where you could go to, well, shall I go to this church or shall I go to that church? This was it. This was your community. Uh, and we had to kind of live together and we kind of rubbed the, kind of the rough edges off each other. We were there to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so when I think about community, these are some of the things that come into my mind. And I, I share that because as you think and we go through this series about community, for some of you, it, it can be like a, just a concept. Uh, but I wanted to kind of give it some feeling, a picture, an image of what it looks like. Nigel also talked about why we're doing this series, and I always feel it's good to remind ourselves why we're doing this series, because there's so many different things that we could talk about. And again, if you've not been around this church for a while, but if you have, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is that we're trying to live our lives more like Jesus. And Nigel read some verses last week where the disciples were called and invited to follow Jesus. And in the past, we've used this word apprentice, and if you're familiar with that language, this idea that's... There is less apprenticeships around nowadays, but this idea where you find somebody who's the master and you follow them, you look at the way that they live, you, and you seek to learn and you seek to become like them. And so we use this, if you bring up the next slide, chat in. We talk about this concept of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the works of Jesus. And Nigel was sharing that one of the things that we're doing is this series is that community helps us to become like Jesus. And we, we, we're trying to do, a, over you know, the next few years, just looking at different practices that, that help us to become like Jesus. But it's more than that. You see, community is one of these interesting practices, and I use that language deliberately. Practice is something that helps you, that shapes you. Because you can't be a community without, yes, it helps you become like Jesus, but you can't do it without being with Jesus. You know, as we begin to talk about some of the things I'm sharing today, you need Jesus. You need the transformation of just being with him, being transformed, encountering him, who he is, to do community. And also, being community is part of doing the works of Jesus. An authentic community, what I'll be talking about today, is a community built in a culture of honor will bring transformation. It is countercultural. As soon as when we talk about being, you know, becoming and being with Jesus and doing the works of Jesus, particularly with doing the works of Jesus, I sometimes have certain images in my mind, and partly because of my, my work, I do a lot of training on how to pray for the sick and to use a tool called treasure hunting. And, and so I often think about doing the works of Jesus. I'm kind of thinking in that kind of dynamic. Or it could be in relation to you know, another way of outworking some of the stuff that Will was just talking about, you know, doing the works of Jesus, kind of showing compassion in a visible and a manifest way to the poor, the orphan, you know, and be it, you know, in Kampala, be it some of the compassion ministry we do for this church. But actually being in a community is countercultural when it has that value of honor, and that is part of doing the works of Jesus because we don't see that in our communities that we live Amongst. So let's just look at um, some verses. So if you bring up the next slide, which actually I need because I need to read it myself. And this is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 16. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devout to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And I particularly want to just focus in on that kind of idea of just um, honor. So if you just flick up the next slide, Chatton. This idea of creating a culture of honor in our communities. I used to teach a lot on kind of leadership and teams, and there's a phrase in, in teams that says, trust is the glue that holds the team together. And I would say that honor is the glue that holds communities together. It is the culture, the way that one does things uh, in a community. And uh, this idea of honor is, it's not a word that's used so much in the, in the West. Maybe sometimes you hear about it but, uh, when, in other cultures, when you hear about things like honor killings. Those who don't know, I do a lot of work in, in Muslim countries. And in a Muslim country, this whole idea of honor and shame is a huge thing. And so I'm kind of familiar with it, having lived overseas. And, you know, and I often train people when they go overseas. They've got to grasp this idea of kind of honor and shame. And so kind of living overseas, I learned some things of what kind of honor can look like. You know, even now, when you, if I come to my house, uh, I, you know, I take my shoes off because that's what you do. That's part of kind of honoring the person. You're not bringing in kind of the dirt and the things of the world. Uh, even now, if I, I find it hard. You know, when you just don't think for such a long period of time, it's, it's hard to change. So if I meet a Muslim woman, even in the UK, and she offers me her hand, I'll do this. Um, because that's just what you do. It's a sign of saying, I honor and respect you as a faithful Muslim woman, but I will not shake your hand because that's the honorable thing to do. And she will feel honored, and I'm upholding her honor by doing that. Uh, when I go to Ethiopia, I mean, I can tell you stories after story I won't do, but you just learn, thankfully, I'm right-handed. When eventually I start taking my, my boy Daniel overseas, it's going to be more a challenge for him because he's left-handed. But you use your right hand to eat. And you just eat what you are given. And uh, I'm not going to bore you with details, but some of the things that you get given might not be the things you get most excited about. And when you're all eating from the same pot, uh, with your same right hand, you know, you're, you're praying hard. May they wash their hands. <laughs> and, um, but you just, you, just, you just do that. And um, it's a concept we find hard. We, kind of, we touch on it sometimes on things like uh, kind of Muttering Sunday when we take some time out to honor our mums. So, you know, when we maybe send them a card, we give them a quick phone call if they're close by, we try to visit them, maybe take them out for a meal if we still have our mums. You know, in a few weeks' time, we, we see a little bit of our working of that because on November the 11th, we remember and honor those who died for us in the different wars. And, you know, we will, maybe it's a minute, maybe it's a couple of minutes. But for the majority of us, this kind of honor is kind of like a temporary thing, a moment in time thing. It's not something that permeates and affects our whole life, the way that we do life, the way that we see people, the way that we interact with people, the way that we respond to people. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about honor. Now, people in Paul's day would have found it easier because they were more familiar with it. But he, again, wanted to stress what honor looked like. And that's partly why some of these verses, they're the verse in Romans, there, chapter 12. But that whole kind of passage is kind of outworking what honor can look like 
when it comes to people. To put it another way, kind of honor is outworking some of those key values that Jesus said that we should do. Jesus kind of said that he summarized his kind of teaching, you know, and as apprentices, those who are seeking to follow Jesus, it's like, well, what can you kind of hone it down to? And he said it was to love God and love your neighbor. And one obvious way of doing that is through honor. Because when you kind of love a person, you're seeking to honor them. And I'll tell you a little bit more what that looks like in a minute. But you also honor God when you honor people. I thought about doing it, but um, I think it would, particularly my wife here wasn't there, she would be embarrassed. But um, you know, when you have a painting and somebody comes along and they kind of go, wow, that's an amazing painting. That's just, I mean, that's just so beautiful, you know, the strokes, what they're trying to convey. What are you honoring, ultimately? The artist. And uh, which is why I could have brought, and if you ever come to my house, there's kind of two things in particular. My wife has got a picture in the, in the kitchen. Um, she felt like she wanted to do a painting based on the glory of God, and it's to do with the glory of God just cascading down. And then if you ever go to our toilets, my, my daughter Hannah has got a couple of mosaics. And, uh, and so I draw attention to these, and she, if I did it, she, they would tell me off, like, you're embarrassing me. But that's why honor is important, because when we honor, we begin to naturally outwork those two commandments, to honor God and to honor our neighbors. So what does kind of honor mean like to us? If you look at the, the Greek, there's this word called timio. looked it up, I'm not a Greek expert, but it says means to value and put a price on something. So when you honor someone, we're giving them, we're giving them something that reflects their value, who they are, the value that we assign to someone, the contribution that we think that they give, which is why if you read kind of Revelation um, at the end, you know, there's, just, there's a few times when kind of heaven is open and we have a glimpse uh, into heaven and it says, you know, all the angels are singing, you know, glory and honor and power. It's kind of giving that recognition and worth to God. We get a little bit of that taste when you have what's called like a honoranium. And uh, when, you know, sometimes you do this for, for like football or a certain situation, and where people are giving honor and they, they, they kind of give to something. I think the closest I saw this was about a month ago. And uh, I was at this church. Uh, may I point out I'm not asking for this to happen? <laughs> but I was at this church and I finished speaking and the, the pastor stood up and said, you know, Paul, it's great that you come to this church and we love what you do and stuff you do overseas and we want to honor you. And he says, right, we're going to pass the, the, the offering basket around. And I'm still standing next to this person thinking, I'm dying here. And uh, <laughs> he's like, let's just honor him. And I think two things. One, that's kind of what honor looks like. They were trying to recognize what they thought was my, my worth, my value. I think the other thing that hit me was I found that really hard in the same way why I didn't bring my, my wife's um, paintings. Because I think as we're going to grow in honor as a community, one, and I would stress particularly this, we need to become people that give people honor. We also got to become people that are willing to receive honor. You know, and the British, having worked overseas, I can say this, the British are some of the worst at receiving honors. Like, oh, no, no, 
it's not me. Well, who else did a painting? <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that, now it looks like that. And it's like, oh, everybody's like that. No, because if everybody's like that, everybody else would be doing it. Uh, and, you know, and uh, we laugh, but we're really bad at it. And I want us, as a, as a community, as a big community, as a smaller community, we need to become people that learn how to give honor. And that's what, like I said, I'm going to stress. But for me, this illustration also is like, I need to just learn to receive it. And, um, and so I did. <laughs> but, uh, um, but we need to become like that. This is what we need. Now, it's not flattery. We're not trying to impress somebody for the sake of it. It's just kind of declaring over that person who they really are and the value and the contribution that they give. Another way of looking at it, if you want to flip it, is uh, this kind of word contempt. Actually, um, some of the later verses in that Romans passage at the end where it just talks about um, just... um, kind of respecting and recognizing people, sometimes the word is used kind of contempt, and contempt is in some ways the opposite of honor. When you have contempt for somebody is when you kind of look down upon them. You kind of have this sense of kind of arrogance over them. You kind of look down upon them as, you know, kind of scorn at them. You kind of look down your nose to use that phrase. We label somebody and we judge somebody and we lower the value of them in our mind. We often have contempt for somebody when we kind of seen something in our lives, in their lives, and we project it on them and kind of label them as kind of good, or, you know, in that case, bad. We lower someone out and we raise ourselves up. We think that maybe we are more enlightened. And that's huge. I, uh, over the summer, I, I felt challenged just to take a prolonged period of, of, of fasting. I kind of seen fasting in the Bible, and um, often in, in fasting in the Bible is for a long period of time. And I decided I'd kind of outwork that some way in my life. There are certain things I wanted to see change uh, in my life, in my family's life. And I was kind of coming up to uh, this prolonged period of fasting and thinking, on the surface, nothing seems to change. God, what are you doing? And in the kind of last three days, God really just challenged me about contempt. You know, because it's so prevailing, it, it kind of riddles our society. You know, we see our society as a divided society at the moment. We kind of look down on people because they voted differently, for example, in relation to uh, Europe a few years ago. My brother tells me the church up in Scotland is divided between those who wanted independence and those who didn't want independence. There's, there's a divide in relation to your thoughts about vaccinations for or against, and I'm not going to go into all of it. But you become aware of it when, as a society, within a church, we begin to look down on different people and think of ourselves uh, as better. And I can give a whole load of examples. My journal is filled with lots of examples where God just challenged me and said, Paul, you have got contempt for people. And that is not kind of the culture and the value that we have. And maybe even if I've said that, some of those things, some people have come into your mind. If you want to know, just go around in the next few days and ask God, show me who I'm looking down upon, and he will draw your attention to it. We need to have hearts to honor people that are quick to recognize the value in people, to recognize the specific things of what they bring into our lives. And that takes time. You see, that's one of the difference with flattery. Flattery, you can just throw out some words. To honor people... It takes some thought, it takes some connection, it takes some relationship. 
And that's why it makes it harder. C.S. Lewis, and this is the next slide that comes up, said this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And I just love that kind of, that phrase. There are no ordinary people. And I think we, to begin to honor people, we, be, we need to begin to have that perspective as we look at people. There are no ordinary people. You know, we live in this kind of society where there's kind of this kind of celebrity culture, you know, kind of social media, Instagram, Facebook, I'm showing my ignorance now, whatever else is out there, but people go, hey, I bumped into so-and-so, and here's my kind of picture um, with them, you know, I bumped into them at the restaurant, to the cinema, and like, wow, imagine if we began to live that way, where we said, hey, I just met, in, you know, with Fred, uh, you know, Fred, the one who has two sons, and uh, and everybody's going, oh, wow, you just bumped into Fred. Your hand is kind of, he's got those two sons. Oh, wow, I want, where is he? Can I go and meet them? Can I have my picture of them? And I can see some of you kind of smiling. And, um, and we kind of smile because we don't really do that. We don't really treat people that way. But shall I tell you who did? Jesus. See, Jesus gets so excited because he always looks beyond the surface because he knows how amazing each one. You see, we're going to put people, this kind of whole kind of celebrity culture, we're all celebrities. Remember that when you're going to the office, if some of you work in the office, whoever your environment is, I haven't got time to fill in all your, you know, your situation. And go in, you know, I don't know, maybe you're, you're unemployed at the moment, you're going to the door and go in and go, I'm a celebrity. He wants a picture of me. <laughs> and uh, because we are, because of who we are and what we have, and we need to begin to recognize that for ourselves. It's one of the first starting points. We don't realize how important and valuable we are. You know what gives something uh, of value often? My, my boy, I can see him outside occasionally, and Daniel, he loves antiques. He's really, really into his antiques, and he knows them pretty well. And uh, so I often watch these things with him. And, uh, and what gives the value? You know, they flip it over and they go, oh, this is valuable. This is going to be worth more money. Why? Because it has a signature, a certain stamp upon it. If you come across something like, you know, it has like Van Gogh written on it, donate it to your church. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's, it can, that's what gives it worth because of the name. Do you know what name we have written on our lives? It says God. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus. That's what gives us worth. And we need to remember that, but we also need to begin to recognize that in other people. Every one of you that you look at here, every one of you, wherever situation you go in, in your life, what your week is looking like, whichever person you interact with, whatever role or title they have, in some ways it doesn't matter because, right, sometimes it's hard to see. They've got this signature of God upon them. This is somebody made in my image. Until we grasp that for ourselves, we will never really begin to receive the, the good honor that we are there, that makes us whole that restores, that heals us. Maybe that's linked into that thing I said earlier on, that we will always be broken until we really know who we are. 
and how loved we are and how precious we are. And we will never re- really fully outwork the value of community and bringing healing and wholeness into other people's lives until we release and declare and honor them by saying the signature that is upon their lives. That's crucial. That wasn't in my notes. I presume that's something God wants to say. But we need to honor people. And not just honor. Some um, other translations of that verse in Romans chapter 12 says, outdo each other in showing honor. Outdo each other. It's not just like, okay, I've got to honor. It's like, outdo each other. In my family, that works quite well, hopefully, because they're really competitive. But... Uh, but we need to outwork that and look in that situations. And, and I just read one passage, but you see this in, in various places. You know, there's various verses in the Bible that talks about kind of honoring your parents. In 1 Peter 3, it says about honoring your wives. 1 Peter 3.17 says that. And it's interesting, it says, it says, honor your wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I'm sure I'm going to get a talk out of that at some point. But, um, but it's the first time I'd seen that. Uh, it's like... Honoring is crucial. It attracts blessing into your life, let alone releases blessing into other people's lives. And in Ephesians 6 verse 5, it's talking about a situation of slaves. When it talks about slaves in the New Testament, it's not exactly the situation that we talk about nowadays in kind of modern slavery or the slavery of, kind of the Wilberforce days. But it was still kind of more limiting than what we have. We're saying honor, respect your employers. In Romans 12, it says, kind of, talks about in some translations, honor your government. And you might say, well, you don't know my leaders, but this was written to the Romans around the time of Nero. And so it says, even if you can't honor people because of their character, you can still honor them because of their position. We need to become people who honor. And then lastly, uh, the verse that's going to come up from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 23, and in this passage, Paul is talking about the body of Christ, to use the language we're using today, kind of this wider, larger community that calls itself Winchester Vineyard. And, uh, and he says, he's talking about the importance of everything. He says, the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Because we have this way of kind of just labeling things and thinking they deserve more than this person. No, we're called to honor everything. Even those bits, as it says there, that we're less aware of. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever broken or really damaged something. I suspect most of us have done it. So I remember this, March the 1st this year, I broke my foot. And uh, I was thinking about whether I should put a picture up of this. Actually, particularly my doctor's here. And uh, my um, fifth, fifth metatarsal, which if you'd asked me before I broke it, I'd be thinking, oh, tarsal, is that my feet or is that my hands? And uh, which one is it? Is it on the outside? or the inside? I know where it is now. <laughs> Why? Because I broke it. And uh, I broke it running. People always ask me, so say if you ask me at the end. I actually broke it running on a pavement. And uh, so it took me a while to kind of get back into running. And, uh, but even now, sometimes when I'm running, it kind of just goes through my head. I'm kind of like, I don't take it for granted anymore. Because at one point I was thinking, oh, is this foot ever going to heal? And you, know, you have to learn to re-walk again. If you haven't broken your foot, it's really strange. It's like, I've been walking for like 40 odd years, and now I'm finding it hard to learn how to walk 
let alone ruin. But I, I, don't, I will never take my fifth metatarsal for granted again. I love you. And, uh, you know, and I'm running. And, uh, and we need to be the same. You see, we, we take people for granted. We take situations uh, and, and, and where we meet people for granted. And we need to begin to change that. I think we begin to, I think one of the good things that's happened through this kind of whole corona thing is certain jobs and roles that we took for granted we're appreciating more. Who's going to appreciate in the people that bring petrol more these last few weeks? I am. <laughs> and I'm just giving you one example. That, you know, they wouldn't normally be on my kind of honors list because I just take it for granted. But we need to create a greater honors list. Who do we take for granted? Who do we take for granted? And I don't know the answer, but I'd go away and just talk about it. If you're in a life group, this is maybe something you could come back with and chat about. You know, in the, some of the life groups, which are the small groups where people gather during the week. If not, if you haven't signed up to one, feel free to sign up to one. But part of it is helping us put into practice what we learn on a Sunday. And maybe that'd be a question to ask. Who have you taken for granted? You might not want to be too specific. But who do we need to honor? So what does honoring look like? And uh, if you just bring up the, the last slide, chat, and I've just got a few points just to go through. Since the growing in, in honor and being honorable, I think the first thing is just to have a self-assessment with the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm aware that um, in some ways it's a very challenging concept of learning to honor people and not to have contempt for people. But just ask the Holy Spirit, you know, check your heart. Be aware of the thoughts going through your mind. Who do you look down upon? Maybe for their views, maybe because of where they live, maybe because of the way they dress. And I'm not going, I could go through a whole list of different things that God challenged me about. Maybe it's the way they drive. Uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit got me in that one. And, uh, and then secondly, confess. Say, God, change me. You see, this is not just for us. This is not just for immediate community. This goes back to what I said right at the beginning. When we begin to live in our work like this, this is countercultural. We live in a society, you see this, if you're particularly in a workplace or interacting with people, people begin to kind of criticize other people, knock people down. That's the society we're in. If you don't do it like there in a public way, you be, begin to defriend them on Facebook or whatever that looks like. Why? Because of these things, if we're really honest. So let's be countercultural. So deal with it. Thirdly, be countercultural and use the power of the tongue. Honor brings the best out in people. Contempt draws attention to the worst in people. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, there's a power of life and death in the tongue. Let's begin to use it for life, to begin to honor people. You see, when you treat people with contempt, you begin to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's enough studies that have been done, particularly amongst kind of children and teachers, that when teachers come in with a, a, a kind of positive mentality towards certain children, it begins to outwork into the way that they speak and treat those children. And not surprisingly, they often begin to live up to that. I speak to this as myself as a parent. You know, I love my kids. I think actually only one of them is here, and he's out there. I love them, but my goodness, they drive me nuts sometimes. 
and uh, just being honest with you, and I'm like, what do I speak over them? What do I think over them? What comes out of my mouth? How can I speak their true worth and their true value into them to draw it forth? And sometimes, and I'm not using that, sometimes it's, you, know, you have to look beyond the behavior, and you've got to look at what God has put into their hearts. Anybody can look at the behavior. It takes somebody pressing into, the, into God to see what he has deposited deep down in them. And funny enough, like lots of kind of precious and raw materials, most of it doesn't just come to the surface. You have to dig down for it. And that takes time. Begin to speak over people what you see. You see, Jesus modeled this. Nigel was talking last week, and he had like the list of all the different disciples. And he kind of just mentioned that, uh, you know, these people shouldn't naturally be together. You know, people on completely different political views, from different backgrounds. You see, but Jesus will honor those people. You know, he was often accused of being around kind of, um, sinners and the outcasts of society. And I'm going to touch a little bit on this in a couple of weeks when I talk about hospitality and, and community. But Jesus called out their destiny again and again and again, and it brought transformation. And these were the people that went on to rewrite history. But it started with somebody recognizing the potential of the rewriting history within them. And so we need to begin to do that. Fourthly, begin to create communities that build on honor. Whatever that community looks like to you. And when I begin to think about that, just like the examples I use, I do talk about it as a, as a community, as a fellowship of believers. But ultimately, when I think about community, I think about a smaller a smaller kind of group of people because that's where you can be the most real and the most honest place to be. And Nigel talked about one of the great things about uh, community and the potential of community shared right at the end of his talk last week was there's a place where you can be vulnerable and you can get accountability. Those who weren't here last week, I just told you one of his points, but he was saying this is one of the values of community. I would argue that you would never really be vulnerable or be open to accountability unless you've got a culture of honor there. Who's going to be vulnerable with people that are going to show you contempt? If they really look down upon you, you don't want to draw attention to something they might not know already. And you don't want to be accountable with somebody who's always going to be kind of heavy on you and negative on you. You want to be vulnerable and accountable in a place where there's a culture of honor. And that's our responsibility for all of us. If you lead any kind of group or community in this, in, in this church, I'd encourage you, this is where we have to step up. This is part of the responsibility as a leader. But every one of us can do this. Honor. People don't respond well to contempt. You know, you begin just to shift blame. You're not going to be vulnerable and be accountable in an environment of contempt. It's like, oh, it's him. It's him. You know, it's a challenge to me as a parent, creating that environment where you can be who you are. Creating a lifestyle of honor. I can't remember what I put up there. Yeah, honor everybody, everyone, even those you disagree with. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but that doesn't stop you honoring them. Lastly, create a lifestyle of honor. What would it look like if we began just to honor people all the time, every day? I was going to, in my mind, just because I like to throw out challenges, thinking about, you know, how about it's just, we set as a target, everyone here, just every day we're going to honor at least one person. You know, Will was talking earlier about just changing people's lives and implications. As we begin to do this, this will also begin to change people's lives. 
Not going around just flattery, but really just drawing attention to somebody and just speaking out the true worth with them. Speaking words of value over them and be specific. Um, you're amazing. Well, what are you amazing about? And you can be amazing about a whole load of things. And that's why it takes a little bit of time. Maybe write a letter, put it in writing. Maybe give them a gift or something. I don't know what it, you know, it could be a whole load of things, but this is what honor looks like. But particularly if you're dealing with people face to face, kind of make eye contact with them and speak into them. You know, sometimes we don't honor people that we interact with. I don't know about you, sometimes somebody's speaking to me and I'm thinking about something completely different. Am I the only person? I can see a few people, (laughs) okay. But I know if I met the Queen, or maybe somebody admired, Nigel is here, obviously he's helping up with the youth, and I'll say if he met YouTube, I guess for me, maybe I'm a a Liverpool fan. So particularly after the goal that Mo Salah did yesterday, if you didn't see that, it's worth watching. And, uh, and I was interacting with him. I would give him, you know, or the queen, I'd give them my full attention. You know, yes, and I'd be panicking, like, what do I do? And, uh, but I'd be focusing on them, listening to everything they, they said. Why don't we treat people like that? Imagine every person you're meeting is the queen, or every person you're meeting is and filling the gap, whereas your, your hero, the person that you'd be like, oh, I love. You know those questions, the icebreakers? If you could have a meal with any, any one person, who would you have it with? And I'm sure if you're sitting at that table, you wouldn't kind of be, you'd be, you know, you know, focused on everything they're saying. That is what honor looks like. No rush, just connecting eye to eye. Let's begin to do that one person at a time. So, um, We are called and invited to be a people of honor, not just the honor that we begin to create a culture. And as we do this, we can only do this. Some of the things I said I know are challenging. That's why we have to press into Jesus because he's the ultimate example of this. It involves dying to ourselves sometimes. It means reaching out. It means going the extra mile. It means kind of outworking that love our neighbor. But we're transformed by it. But like I said, when we begin to do this in community, it also begins to transform a, 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 our communities and our world where this is so countercultural. So I'm just going to create some space. Um, trying to look, David, and uh, kind of the, the worship band, the worship duo. Um, but I'm just going to create some space. Just, let's just pause. I know I've said a lot of things. And um, I just had a few things come into my mind. Maybe uh, this is a time just to give stuff over to God. I think two things in particular, when I was talking about maybe contempt, and maybe something came into your mind. And maybe this is the moment to do it. Maybe you don't have to wait to ask God to take you into this week. Instantly, something comes into your mind. I also feel like when I've been talking about kind of community and honor, some of you might have been in communities, in situations where you felt like you were dishonored. I think particularly maybe there's some elderly people where your children haven't honored you. You kind of feel like, you know, they kind of moved on and they're not connecting with you in the way that they should do. They're not honoring you as they should do. But there might be other situations where you felt like you've been dishonored 
And the Father's here, because like I said right at the beginning, he's the God who fixes things. But you need to acknowledge that before him. And then lastly, I know there's a lot of instructions that God begin to drop people into your mind. That God is saying, I want you to honor them today or this coming week. And that's going to have to involve a, a choice. So let's just pause. And let the Spirit do what he wants to do. And there's going to be an opportunity in a minute just to kind of come to the front. Um, both to receive prayer and um, praying for people is a great way of honoring people as well. So for both. So just come, Holy Spirit. Just examine our hearts. Show us where we've looked down on people because of who they are, what they do, their viewpoints, their age. Examine us, God. And I also pray again, Holy Spirit, where people feel that they're just broken, where they're being dishonored. I feel there's at least one person here that the way that you were kind of discharged from your, maybe your last job or maybe a few jobs a time ago, there's still pain because you weren't honored. You were made redundant in an not honorable way and not for honorable reasons. And the Father wants to bring healing today. What, what happened to you wasn't right, but he wants to bring healing Just come, Holy Spirit. Just more.